Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Here, we'll be exploring the people side of successful businesses, careers, and lives. We all have a story to share, and there's something to be learned in every story. Join us to learn from authors, business leaders, thought leaders, and people just like you to uncover the latest ideas, resources, and tools to help you become more effective at work and life. As it turns out, the secret to success is cultivating winning relationships. Business is personal and relationships matter. My guest this week is the fabulous Pame Bassi. She and I are both members of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches Group, and we met, it feels like a whole different lifetime ago, Pame, in San Diego at the beginning of 2020, before all of the drama kicked off. And we were there surrounded by thought leaders, authors, corporate leaders from around the world, all part of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Group. And we had a brief conversation, I remember that, and exchanged cups of coffee and, and cookies. And then I went away and I watched your TEDx. Your TEDx, your 52 weeks of worship. And so when I started the People First video cast, I knew I wanted you as a guest. So tell me the 52 weeks of worship. What was the inspiration and you talk about sacred places. So what did that mean for you as you entered into that journey? Sure, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me this opportunity to speak with you. Uh, and it does feel like a, a long time ago that we met, but really not that long. And just the beginning of a year that was a little bit different than perhaps we may mm -hmm. have imagined. Um, and the same thing happened, frankly, for the, the kind of the genesis, no pun intended, of my 52 weeks of worship. It came out, it was a grief journey. Right. So although it became something that really helped me to transform per, uh, personally and really co consider the concept of sacred spaces, it started in 2010 after a really personally challenging year. So in 20, um, 2009, I lost my father and my grandmother and ended a relationship which at the time seemed like a really, really important relationship. And so I had to figure out what to do about that. And what I decided to do is I made a commitment that I would spend a year traveling, visiting a different place of worship every week in that year. So churches and mosques and synagogues and temples, a few living rooms, a lot of sacred spaces all over the world, from the south side of Chicago to South Africa, from Brazil to Brooklyn, and really just putting myself in spaces where I was just looking to see how people were getting through life, you know, walking through their pain, celebrating their joys, figuring out how to raise their children and raise themselves in an effort to heal and find some joy and find some hope. And so that's, that was, that's how it all got started. Um, and it's been now 10 years that I've been uh, working on the, on this, on this passion project, as I call wow. it. So you taught there about finding and being in those sacred spaces. And you mentioned that for everything from synagogues and mosques and churches to living rooms. Mm -hmm. Say more about that. What makes for a sacred space then? So that is actually, and I, you know, I think about the one worship experience that I had in a living room. And first of all, it was very different because you walk in a church, if you're uncomfortable, you walk out. You walk into someone's living room, it's a little bit more difficult to interact <laughs> yourself. Like, hi, yeah. oh, I'm climbing out of your window. Um, and so I went to a place, it was a worship community that I was very unfamiliar with very much outside of my comfort zone. And I took a friend because it really was that far out of my comfort zone. 
And at the beginning, we were making kind of small talk and I was trying to make myself feel comfortable. And then I watched the worship leader say, we're going to begin. And he used elements. He used candles and incense and some words, obviously some rituals. Um, There were elements of the, the, the service that transformed that living room into a sacred space. And at that moment, I realized any space can be a sacred space if you transform it. And of course, now that we're all, you know, sheltering in place all over the world and people are, you know, going to online worship services, et cetera, and wondering like, well, I'm not going to the church. Is that okay? It all becomes very crystal clear that you don't have to be in that space. There's a personal situation and then there's a community. And as long as everyone kind of agrees the same intention, um, the same kind of uh, belief structure, supporting each other a space can become a sacred space and can really be a place where you're able to live, to kind of plant and grow and say, let's practice our traditions. Let's figure out how we can be the best versions of ourselves as we gather in this space. So um, that's really the idea of a sacred space, which I've, uh, I took away from that experience. See, I like that because in yours, you were focusing on those sacred spaces of worship. And as you described it, that personal feeling and then the sense of community. And for me, yes, I can get that when I walk into a place of worship and you marvel at the architecture and you're listening to the sounds and you know, the smells and just every, the rituals around it. But I can also have that same sort of sacred space reaction when I'm walking into a library, that is, whether it's a modern one, but especially if it's one that has decades or a hundred years of history behind it. I'm looking at old books and thinking about the people who've touched it and how the words within those covers have inspired or engaged others. For me, that would be a sacred space, I suppose. So you were thinking, obviously, of the the places of worship. And you mentioned there about getting invited to somebody's living room. So how did you how did you make that happen? How did you decide where of all the places you could go, not just the living room? How did you pick the places? Yeah. In some ways I say they picked me. Okay. Um, I started out being very conservative. The first week I went to my home church, a 7 a.m. service. The second week I went to the 6 p.m. service. And then I went to my mm-hmm. sister's church and I kind of, you know, every week kind of went a little bit more out of my comfort zone until I found myself in a service that was not of my own religious tradition. And so I said, okay, this is going to be a multi-faith experience. Um, and then I started doing research. Google was my best friend, just looking mm-hmm. up to learn more about worship traditions I'd never even heard of. Harvard has a pluralism project. And so they had a list of all of these traditions that I, and I, you know, I would Google and find out, is there one nearby? I travel, uh, especially because that was a, a healing year. And I have family all over the world. My parents are from West Africa. I have family in the UK, so I just allowed myself, this is like, it feels very different than the life we're living now. Like get on a plane wherever I go. Um, I need to go find a worship space here in Nigeria. I need to go while I'm in the UK and find a worship space. Um, and so it was, it was very organic. It was not uh, academic at all. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to do, to like, write a dissertation on all of the different, you know, intersections. Um, I just would wake up and I'd say, where am I going today? And if I couldn't make it happen on a Sunday, I'd go on a Wednesday. Is there a meditation some, happening somewhere around here? Um, and so, yeah, it was very organic. And every time I went to a new space, I learned something um, about myself, about people who I may not have known anything about before. 
um, it was really amazing, actually, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that the first year, um, well, you went on to more than 60 different places, but you also then mentioned that it's ongoing. So yes. what's been most surprising for you as you reflect on that journey and the different places that you've had an opportunity to visit with? I've just been amazed how I learn something new every time I walk into a space. That's number one. And number two, I actually did this again in Brooklyn. So I moved to New York in 2015. I lived there for a few years and I decided that I was going to do another year of worship, but all in Brooklyn. The first year was one calendar year all over the world. The second year was 52 worship experiences in the, in the borough of Brooklyn, which is a microcosm. And by that time we were seeing things like violence happening in churches where people were walking into services and then, you know, someone pulling it at a gun. Mm -hmm. That was when I really felt like, wow, this is almost revolutionary to walk into a space, to trust that the people in that space would welcome me with safety and, you know, without harm. And for the people in that space to also look at me in some places, very clear that this woman I've never seen before is coming in and is not causing me harm. And so it became really interesting to see that it was revolutionary to assume that um, assume people had positive intent, even in places of worship. The first time I did it in 2010, I never felt unsafe. The second time I felt like, wow, this is actually like, what are you actually doing? Just taking an Uber into the bowels of Brooklyn somewhere that you don't know and mm-hmm. walking through the space and not knowing what to expect. And I think that in walking through life sometimes, especially now, we're really talking about being comfortable, being uncomfortable and, and dealing with people from different backgrounds, that it is actually a revolutionary act to assume that people have positive intentions and to learn from each other and to be humble and say, Hey, no, I come in peace. I'm here to learn. I'm here to be respectful of whatever it is you believe all of those things. It just seems really much more, um, mission critical to, to, to tap into that, that humanity. It's interesting. I was listening to you then immediately had a flash to the work of Brene Brown and courage and vulnerability. And what you just described there is both of those in action, the courage to walk into an environment where you may not know what the customs and rituals are the other side of the door. Are you going to be made feel to feel welcome, but doing it in spite of and the vulnerability for it to to just rest with it, I suppose. And not necessarily that it's going to change your perspective, but it's going to broaden your perspective as you ex- have these new experiences. Absolutely. It is, it is, uh, it's a real gift, actually, to just say, you know what, I'm here to learn. I'm not here to disrupt. I never walked into a space and said, hey, I'm here doing this project. Look mm-hmm. at me. I wanted to just blend. Um, and I'd like to say, and I said this in my TED Talk, you just put a mirror up and you say, hey, do I believe this? Hey, mm-hmm. is this for me or is this, I'm going to respectfully just experience this and maybe never experience it again. Um, yeah. and that's really the way I think of just learning in general and, and giving yourself, making space to learn new things and bring them into your, your, your sphere of influence, your consciousness and say, is this actually something I'm supposed to use in my life, um, in my job, in my family, or was that just something that I was interesting and is not actually going to be something that I use um, going forward. So it's that constant intake of new experiences and perspectives and then figuring out how it will change you or if it will change you, um, that I love, that's kind of just who I am. It's how I operate. 
So how did it influence or change you? Um, it, it really, once you are, I mean, you know, I, I'm in learning and development, you know that any good development program, there's an assessment up front that asks <laughs> you basically, well, who are you? What are your strengths? What do you believe? What are the things that are, that are, that are special about you? And the way that I think that it changes you when you walk into so many spaces where people are really focused on a belief structure is you start to ask yourself, well, what, what do you believe? And I have, you know, I inherited, if you will, my family's faith tradition. And I was able to really ask myself, well, what do you believe and what don't you believe? If you're going to say that if you're going to give yourself a title of a specific religious tradition, it needs to be real. And yeah. so I, anytime you walk into spaces where you're, you know, you're being asked, do you believe this? You don't believe this? Is this who you are? This is not, then you become stronger in what you believe. And almost more importantly, you become able to respect others who believe something completely different just yeah. as strongly. So, you know what? I believe this, you believe that we're standing, standing shoulder to shoulder and that's okay. And I think being able to practice that we talk about inclusion and diversity and all of those things. It's a practice. Mm -hmm. I should say to you, like, so what do you believe? Really? You do? Huh? I don't believe that, but that's okay. I can respect that. And that was that practice mm -hmm. of really being able to do that in so many different places. That was, was very cool. It's that curiosity and open-minded, which I'm sure on the journey that you're going through in terms of your life, you're successful businesswoman. You've had your own company for many years. You're now successful executive leader and currently chief learning officer for Kraft Heinz. So as you think about that career path in parallel and intertwined with the 52 weeks of worship, how has that informed the how and what and who as chief learning officer? So, you know, I talk a lot about being someone who is a lifelong learner mm -hmm. and chief learning officer. One of my jobs is to create a culture of continuous learning, bold creativity and intellectual curiosity and really help people to understand that learning is their superpower um, and that a commitment to learning can help them to be great in their life, in their, in their work, in their current role and to grow great careers and great lives. And it all philosophically is similar, right? Make a commitment to learning new things every day, periodically. Um, and frankly, I had a 52 weeks of worship, my, my passion project. And at Kraft Heinz um, in February of 2019, I started 365 days of learning. Okay. Where, you know, I, I'm a big fan of like making a commitment and then following through. And in that case, I said I was going to learn something new every day and share it out to the organization. So I'm reading an article. This is what I learned. I'm taking a course. This is what I learned. Um, and that has become the foundation of kind of a learning transformation at Kraft Heinz. And so in some ways, the things I learned in my 52 weeks of worship became applicable. As I was saying, I'm applying this to learning. I'm making a commitment. It's a regular commitment. I'm learning, I'm sharing out, I'm reflecting, and I'm allowing it to change me and allowing, uh, others to see how it changes me. Um, I, I, I think that it's just, it's a mindset right, of that, that learning and making space. Again, you can create a sacred space or you can create a learning space. You can create a space where you are, you know, coaching your team members, you're practicing being a great leader. It's that making of a space to say, in this space, I'm going to acquire the knowledge that I need to move from where I am to where I want to be. 
Mm-hmm. Just the things that I want to be better at, whether that is being a great manager or it is something very functional, like, you know, an accounting technique, whatever it is, giving people the, the, the motive, the inspiration to say, make some space, take 10 minutes a day and really focus on something that you want to, you want to learn. Take 10 minutes to take in some new perspectives and see how it changes you or applies to a challenge that you're facing. Take 10 minutes to share something with somebody that you learned. It wasn't for you, but might've been for them. So it is the same sort of um, commitment to making space that is, I think, relevant in both my passion project and in my current work. What I like about that as well is that deliberate thoughtfulness, because I think often we can be running so fast on our hamster wheel. We either go to the course, check the box, but don't necessarily apply the skills. Or even as we're learning and growing, it's not till we stop and look back and see how far we've gone, come rather, and how far we're going, that we realize just how much we've learned and grown. So whether it's 365 days or 52 weeks of learning, just making it a daily habit, but include the reflection so that you can make it a choice of what I learned works for me or what I learned doesn't work for me. And I'm either not going to do it or I'm going to adapt it so it will work for me. That's just going to help us all individually and collectively to be the best versions of us that we can be. Absolutely. It is the commitment to, and it doesn't have to be Although when I was in Nigeria, I did go to a couple services that were all day. <laughs> oh, wow. I've been to, you know, learning events that were all day. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. This is an eight hour service or an eight hour learning experience. Yeah. Five minutes. It can be 10 minutes. It is that commitment, mm-hmm. knowing yourself. Like I see myself as a lifelong learner in the crisis situation or a situation where you are, you know, healing from something difficult. Just seeing yourself as someone who learns your way through it. And I think yeah. that gift from both kind of my passion project and the work I do today is learning can help you get through difficult times and you can grow as if you commit to that learning. So to, in what way has 2020 impacted or changed what you are personally learning and focusing on right now? It's amazing. We talked about MG100 and, and we, we co-created a book called Leadership in a Time of Crisis. And in that book, I talk about the best way to lead through a crisis is to learn your way through it and decide mm-hmm. who you're going to be. Who am I going to be when this, when, you know, history has shown that all the crises pass. Mm-hmm. You're writing the story of who you're going to be while you're walking through it. And focusing on being very specific and relentless about getting what you need, learning what you need to learn in order to successfully walk through it. And so I have had moments like everyone else where I felt overwhelmed, like what is really happening right now? Mm-hmm. Just tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy, way too much information from too many sources and having to take a deep breath and say, who are you going to be in this crisis? What is it that you want to make sure you, how do you want to show up? Um, and then if either practice showing up like that or learn what you need to learn so that you can show up in a way that's aligned with the, who you want to be in the middle of crisis. And so 2020 has given us a lot of opportunities to practice. Wow. There's a global pandemic. Well, who do you want to be? You're supposed to shelter in place. Who do you want to be? You're a black woman who's an executive and there's enormous racial unrest in the world. How are you going to show up in the middle of that? And to ask myself that question, have that moment of reflection, decide the next best right action, and then move in that. Mm-hmm. It's been 
you know, who knew it was going to be like this, but months, weeks upon weeks of asking the question, deciding the next best thing, and then moving in alignment with who you, who I want to be in the middle of all of this. So what are you doing for your own self-care then to be able to stay in there and have that energy for the different hats that you're wearing of which there is only one you. So how do you, how do you keep yourself in the game? That's a wonderful question. And one that I'm constantly asking, like, wait, what's going on here? I think it's a couple things. One, it is, I talk about, you know, managing my inputs, like, no, you can't watch the news 24 hours a day. No, you can't scroll through social media all night. Like that's not actually good for your spirit. Mm-hmm. So maybe start managing my inputs. And the second thing is I was a pretty compliant shelter in place or for the, for many weeks. And, but when Chicago, I live in Chicago, when the sun comes out and it turns into summer, it calls you. And mm-hmm. I live very close to Lake Michigan and I love the lake. And so I said, you know what, every morning at five 30, I don't know that's early, but it's mostly because there's nobody out there. I'm going to walk by the lake and I'm just going to breathe deep and look at the the, the seagulls and enjoy the, the fresh air. And so I've been doing a lot of walking outside, which I didn't do in March and April. I really stayed inside mostly, but it's, it's those two things, managing inputs yeah. and then getting into nature. Thank um, you. On a regular basis. Yeah. So as you look to the future, because as we've inferred, this too shall pass. At least we hope so. So as you look to the future, what are you most excited for? Um, that's a good point. A, a good question. I, you know, I, I just want to get through this happy and healthy and sane. Um, there's a lot of really great things happening at work, which is, you know, one to find a place like Kraft Heinz where I feel very much like um, I'm contributing, I'm making impact, I'm watching. We're going through a kind of a business transformation and this cultural transformation that be part of that is really exciting. So I'm excited to see how that plays out. Um, so that professionally, that's what I'm excited about. Um, and then personally, I look at, you know what, stay happy and safe and healthy so that I can, my mother lives in another city. I can visit, yeah. you know, family, et cetera, again. Um, I'm just hopeful that we can all make it through this without too much more damage um, and death and, and, and sadness. And so trying to stay, you know, myself, um, like you said, taking care of myself so that I can, you know, be okay on the other side of this. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit of your journey and insights. For the people who are listening or watching this particular episode, how can they learn more both about the 52 weeks of worship, but also learn more and perhaps connect with you? So I spend a lot of time writing and I post a lot of my writing on my LinkedIn page. So I would invite you to come and connect with me on LinkedIn. My name is Pam A. I may be the only Pam A on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. Um, and my site for my passion project, my52wow.com. You can see my writings there and my TED Talk, et cetera. So those two places. All right. Thank you. And I'll make sure that all of that information is in the comments area below this video. So Pam A, once again, thank you. I look forward to cocktails in person at some point when we're all allowed allowed out to play again. But in the meantime, stay well and uh, I'll see you on an upcoming Marshall Goldsmith call. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything, before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, 
or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.